Live from Paralandra, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. This is awesome. Well, I, I'm having trouble keeping my balance, but uh, this is a really, I've never been in an ocean like this. No, this is, it's just beautiful, and there's that fruit on the tree. That and we're fruit just, is we're, delicious. I know, it really, only, you only need one of them. And to yeah, you don't really feel like anything else. It's, it's amazing. This is one of the best places we've ever been. It's like paradise. Yeah, agreed. And there's not even anyone around. No, it's just us. Just us. At least for now. Yeah. Knowing, knowing our luck, we want to stay that way. But still. <laughs> so yes, this is a, a fun, um, a fun locale. You should, you should be jealous, everyone who's listening. Yes, you too want to come to Paralandra. And you, you can if the price. Well, actually, no, you can't. No, unfortunately, no. But it, it's a nice little summer getaway, and we're strangely enough at the end of summer already. I, I don't know, know how crazy. that happened. And yeah, and according to my uh, kids, it's now school year, and so it doesn't even feel like summer in the same way yeah it's that's weird. just that's just sad yeah it is sad they should come to Paralandra with us either that we should take them to the tri-state area where they apparently have 104 days i know that's why yeah they would like that yeah. <laughs> i think they would enjoy the tri-state area i, I think they would so. um might be, might be a little hazardous to their health but well, everything works out in the end <laughs> yeah, right. so it's true so anyways guys i'm nick and i'm tim we never introduced ourselves but we thought maybe if we have new listeners you would like to know who we are and hopefully you uh, are new, and hopefully you do like to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Although we've already ruined them. They're like, I wanted to go into a podcast, make sure they don't introduce themselves, and we failed. Oh. Well, so, anyways, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into story school. Okay, everyone, today's story school. I guess the best way to describe it is that we're going to try to talk about stories that move you outside of yourself, transcend the medium and the, the themes you're going for. Yeah, because art often tries to, you know, kind of bring us outside of ourselves, not just give us the same old, same old, but just bring out something in us that's we can't really access on our own sometimes. And the best art tends to really, you know, it suddenly can lift you up into a, you know, a different levels of knowledge or even touch you spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to kind of discuss sort of that that continuum. Yeah. Uh, starting from sort of like, hey, that's cool. That's doing something new. And that's more of an intellectual realization in many ways. When talking about this, I think we'll probably, yeah, we'll, we'll move past the intellectual because obviously there's a lot of like seeing something that you haven't seen done that way for the first time. Yeah. So we'll start with that sort of cool, which is more intellectual to more the wonder awe. And mm -hmm. then what we call kind of, you know, transcendent art or transcendental moments in your, your book, your movie. Or whatever. Well, whatever. So let's start at the, the basic layer. The, this, it's cool. <laughs> you see how cool that was? That was the coolest thing ever. You know, you see, I mean, certain people say that about every movie they've ever seen. They're like, <laughs> man, Autobots fall for like 20 minutes. That was so cool. But, you know, cause that, that sort of thing, though, is a real thing. That's, you know, kind of the gut level why we read and watch things yeah and it's one of those things that is a little easier we've talked about this well there'll be some overlap with this topic with our beauty episode from a whole two years ago which is dun, kind of dun, amazing dun. actually but when you're small you get these moments like a lot with a lot yeah. more frequency than you do as an adult there, there's a quote Robbie zacharias talks about i, I think he stole it from chesterton or or 
added to chest and talk about when you're, you know, telling the story to your 12 year old and you're talking about, he opened the door, he walked and he opened the door and there was a dragon outside and that's, oh, and then like to your five year old, he walked and opened the door and like, oh, and then like <laughs> to the two year, like, and he walked, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's where level that it becomes, nice. the older you get, the harder it is to, and I'm seeing this straight from Robbie Zacharias, the harder it is to make you feel wonder. Yeah. An example of this, I remember, I think I've mentioned on here before, having very distinct memories of going to the theater to seeing Beauty and the Beast. Because yeah. I, I went at like right, the right age where like it's not just kind of you're vaguely paying attention or you've seen it before. It's like it's all new. It's all fresh. And I remember specifically like the moment where it looks like Beast has died and um, just feeling this very overwhelming sense of sadness and then this kind of overwhelming sense of joy when he came back. And you've seen you've seen these near-death things in scores of kids' movies, especially Disney, um, even like Tangled, you know, it has has kind of this, yeah. oh, a, a protagonist is is dying. And as yeah. an adult, it can't affect you the same no. way. You, you know it's going to come, something's going to turn out right. So I, I guess the first thing we learn is that as a creator, you can only hope for the best on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can manufacture, you can to a certain extent. You know, there'll be like, I used to watch a lot of like me and my brother, like martial arts films. Like, you know, you can see certain movies trying to do the coolest action, you know, <laughs> martial arts scene ever. Yeah. And you get like, oh, that was, I never seen, oh, it was Matrix. Uh -huh. You know, so you can manufacture it to a certain extent. Yeah. And it is largely like just one-upping what's come before in many ways. That's true. Or if you're creating something very new or... Or even in some ways, just just trying really hard, you know, because we're in a world that often settles for mediocrity. Yeah, that's true. Especially like say in you know children's movies, and I think that's one reason why Pixar has just thrived so well. I remember moments in like say Toy Story two or in The Incredibles where I was like, "How can this be this good? Yeah, like movies aren't supposed to be this I, good." I, I'm sure is that on the podcast at some point, but I remember going to see Rad Two because it's Pixar and whatever. Uh -huh. I'm like. A movie about a rat cooking should not be as good as this movie is. <laughs> and every time I watch it, I'm like, what? How does this exist? <laughs> or uh, the Lego movie, even. The Lego movie was one of the more modern examples. I go in there, oh, that's a Lego movie. I come out, I'm like, that was genius. Yeah. I mean, and it's not breaking ground necessarily, but it does it with such confidence and such skill. It just, it and just it, works. In a way that almost seems effortless. Yes. And I guess, like they, they often say... Where it looks like it's, you know, where everything works, like when you, as a viewer, a reader, it seems effortless. Someone put a lot of time in. Yeah. And yeah. so just putting your time in and tweaking and, mm -hmm. you know, spending the time editing and checking and all that stuff. Yeah. Pays off for at least, especially this cool factor. Definitely. I will throw in one more example of yeah. this and then we'll move on. A New Hope. Star Wars, the, yes. the the original Death Star run. Oh man! Oh man! I, I got shivers when I was a kid watching that thing. <laughs> I know, right? Like I, I remember, like just thinking about it afterwards and just kind of living it moment by moment. I would get about excited about it as some people get, like on their favorite play of a basketball game. Yeah. Well, you know, it's coming down all this stuff, and you got the the timer going, the screen talking keeps moving up, and, and Darth Vader has just been picking off other pilots one just, by one, and yeah, Luke just, is in his sights next, and then out of nowhere, Han. And Solo shows up. And, <laughs> huh, euphoria. An another, yeah, exactly. <laughs> First time I saw Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It was just sort of one of these, what? <laughs> you can make this and it works? Uh -huh. You know? 
So there, there are those sorts of things. Yes. And that's really neat. Yeah. So kudos to you filmmakers who've been able to do that. So that's, you know, and I think we can all find, you know, our own, oh, that man, that was such a cool fill in the blank action scene, suspense scene, mission possible, the heist, you know, fill mm-hmm. in the blank. And then a kind of ramp it up one more is that sort of that one or that all where it's like you are fully invested in this world and it's just like, what, what? Like, what is this? And it almost yeah. let, you know, you, you, you were completely pull out of yourself in some ways, you know, you're just like, I'm watching something and I've just, I'm, you know, it's just, you feel lighter after it. You feel like, you know, your life is better for having watched it. Mm, mm-hmm. Thinking about this category, I, I actually tend to go a little more towards books than the movie medium. And I think that's specifically because one of our favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, yeah. there's a couple different Narnia books that I feel like really capture this really well. Dawn Treader. Yeah, Dawn Treader <laughs> is, is definitely one of them. Um, the Last Battle, I think, is... Yeah. The, in the Last Battle, that picture that he gives of heaven is just... Is wonderful. Yes, it's, it's glorious. It's everything... It's still, for my money, one of the the best depictions of heaven in any yeah. medium. Movie was I have to give credit to um, Miyazaki. Just his, you watch those movies, you just like you feel like the world's like ten thousand times better than it really is. I mean, you know, there's just this <laughs> yeah. this airiness about some of his movies that just like yeah, this transcend you know not quite transcends, but you know this is this is wonderful in in the in the wonder sort of way. It captures that kind of feeling we've talked about sometimes where art shows us not the world as it is, but how, as it It should should be. be. And yeah, Miyazaki does that remarkably well. And, you know, and he has great music to go along with it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to Joe Hiyashi. Castle in the Sky is is one of my favorite examples of this. And Castle in the Sky kind of gets overlooked sometimes by some of the more recent Miyazaki stuff, which I totally get. But Castle in the Sky kind of hits me like both like old me who who just loved the good adventure stories yeah. and and kids in, in dangerous situations but it also appeals to new fantasy loving me yeah. <laughs> in a sense of a guy you've got this kind of mythic ancient force that has been lost or city that yeah. has been lost and the music just kind of goes really well with that too. it's for you know since you mentioned books and favorite authors lord of the rings yeah it's just, I, it's, I knew we'd have to mention that somewhere you just, in here. You just can't yeah. because Okay, so the movies capture the the world in some ways, or the the action, but the book captures such a the atmosphere, the feelings, the the deep hurts and longings are just it's just a beautiful it, it it's where you know we probably talked about it back in the beauty episode I don't remember, but not just beautiful in the language, or the language is beautiful, but the people are beautiful. The mm, the mm-hmm. you know the not the simplicity, but the the honorable the the the, the 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 honesty of all the characters. You know, everyone's motives are they're simple motives. I mean, not 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 the sense like everyone's good or everyone's bad, but they're they don't have all the extra things that real life has. It, it's not concerned with like it's not a, a story that's concerned with the underpinnings of what's under as if everyone's got their own agendas. Yeah, sort exactly. Of thing. It just everyone's. It, I mean. Okay, so the hobbits and the wizards have different goals in mind, and they have different wants and needs. But but it's not as if there's subterfuge, except yeah. from the like we're going to send our king off to face Sauron while we really are confiding in this but, ridiculous. But, but hope that thing. sort of honest, like just good childhood sort of subterfuge, you know? Yeah, 
it's a battle subterfuge. Yeah, it, it, not, not much not, gray. No. You know, when someone when Sam is Sam and Frodo is Frodo and Saruman, everyone is themselves and they're not like the wrestling, you know, like a lot of modern stuff and even some of my stuff, you know, <laughs> wrestling with who they are. They, yeah. they are who they are, but they're wrestling with how do I do this? And you say there's it's not a lot of gray, which is true, but at the same time, the struggles the characters deal with also feel very real. Yeah. Like, Frodo doesn't get off being the ring bearer very easily. <laughs> no. He carries that that trauma with him for a long time. I think when you get to this level, you move beyond, like, oh, you, you please the kind of my pleasure sensor, you know, like in action or in, mm-hmm. you know, you read some book and you read, like, mystery books, you know, it's cool, be all the twist. It all no, comes together. Yeah. But by the time you move to the second level, with this awe and wonder, you've moved to this, it's ringing with some something true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you watch Miyazaki, like, even if you don't believe the world's that way, you wish it is. Or you believe the world really is that way once everything, you know, like from a Christian point of view, once it stops being fallen. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's starting to resonate with some sort of, like, hidden self, that all the distractions of the world kind of... Uh-huh. Now, it'll be interesting to see, I'm curious how... The more we talk about this, how you compare this stage, the the wonder stage, yeah. to the the more transcendent, because yeah. we've already kind of tied into and again, and it's, and it's a con- yeah, and it's a continuum. I think there's no set. I made it up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. One more thing. I'm I'm in the middle of um a book called Man Alive. Okay, um, which I am due to read soon. <laughs> yeah, we have this book club that we. Uh, so there will probably be even more overlap in the things we talk about. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> no, but what G.K. Chesterton, one of his, and even orthodoxy, though it's nonfiction, has some of this kind of all wonder about it. Hmm. Because it just, he's so good at getting you back in touch with just simple joys. Mm-hmm. Which for me, I guess, is what, attach, what wonder is attached to more than just like pretty eye candy. Now, sometimes you go to you see some movie and it has just these vistas. Oh, one more on this one. That I was thinking is, I don't think everyone felt this way, but when I watched John Carter, the movie, uh-huh. I'd remember that if you could suspend your disbelief, it was just the whole, this this entire world that I had felt like I had not, I felt like I had not sat in a movie that gave me an entire movie world for a long, long time. Mm. Now, I don't know if I'll feel that way next time I watch it, but I remember it was just sort of this refreshing, like, as I took it, just it was this. You've it, been it to like, another planet. It's like it's like watching Star Wars again, oh, a little yeah. bit. I mean, I'm not trying to say they're the same level of movie, but they, it was the first movie in a long time that tried to try to be, be somewhere else, something completely else. Yeah, nice. I felt and again. I think it was such a. I think there was a high jump of disbelief for a lot of people that they couldn't. Right. They make couldn't. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember having maybe not in a sense of wonder about it, but I do, I do remember feeling that like I am in a foreign place. And then yeah. when you left the theater, you had suddenly returned to yeah. earth somehow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's try this third level. Okay. Okay. So I, this is the transcendent level. Like you're actually, I, I have one example that's more of a, you can tell they're trying to, and it's not working, uh-huh. but you know where it's, I think really hitting spiritual things. And I feel like this is, back to what you say, they were trying something. Sometimes I think this happens without the storytellers even realizing that it's going to happen. I think it almost has to, to a certain extent. I feel like you can't, at this level, you can't manufacture it. Hmm. I mean, you, I'm sure there's ways to do it more just by the topic you're covering. Sure. Or, I mean, an action movie is not likely to have one of these things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could, but it's much less likely than a more serious, dramatic sort of mm-hmm. deal. Oh, so so give me your example of... Not quite working? Of not quite working. Have you ever seen Cloud Atlas? No. Okay. Interesting movie. And you could tell they're trying to have this deep meaning of all these six layers. And it is a fascinating movie from a 
technical point of view. Okay. But from the like, you know, trying to cut it together and have this sort of deep meaning of of progress and helping people and stuff, it didn't work for me. Partly because it rang false to me because uh-huh. I didn't necessarily agree with all sure their theme. Then I I, I suppose for people who agree with them all, it might get closer. Right. And when we've we've covered some of that before too. Sometimes when something doesn't ring true with you because of difference of worldviews, I think transcendental and for having said it has to ring. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. The funny thing is, I think that if you're touching on a universal truth that that most people can find common ground on, it's interesting how you can kind of, even if the filmmaker storyteller is not coming at it from the direction that you would, somehow they're coming one way, you come to another way at it, and you sort of meet in the middle, and I can have sort of a transcendental experience. Yeah. The example I'm thinking of with this is actually... Um, Les Mis, or oh, Les, Mis Les Mis is on my list here. Too. Yeah. Um, funny thing, the first time I ever saw uh, Les Mis performed, I'd seen like one of the movies, not the Russell Crowe, the, the... The older movies. Yeah, one of the older movies. I think the one with Liam Neeson. Okay, yeah. Um, so I was familiar with the story, but the first time I had seen the musical of it was actually at East Noble High School. Oh, yeah. With, <laughs> yes, they did it all out. Yes, and, and if you don't think a high school can do Les Mis justice, you don't know East Noble. <laughs> Or Mr. Monk. I know, I know one of our uh, one of our faithful listeners was obsessed with Les Mis in high school. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> but when when I saw this version of it, I I completely understood. And I don't know that the musical creators, Victor Hugo is yeah. another matter. But I don't know the musical creators were necessarily very Christian. Yeah. But I found the Christianity oh, yeah. very strong in it. Mm-hmm. The the song I remember listening to the most afterwards because like I I checked out a Broadway recording of it from the library for a while. I actually listened to the finale quite a bit. Oh, the finale so. When I watched the newer movie, it about killed me. The that finale. <laughs> well, see, and that's that's interesting though because for me the movie didn't have the same impact as it had the somewhere movie. else. Yeah. Because yeah. like the the of the recent the musical movie. It almost felt like they were going with this very humanist sort of yeah. like someday when we have when we humankind is re- ready to work well, together yeah. we will bring yeah, ourselves forward and a new thing. Whereas from my perspective, I'm thinking more of when tomorrow comes, talking yeah. about the future, about yeah. the the hereafter. Yeah, when I have the I have the soundtrack now and yeah, yeah, that's I, how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and it is a beautiful kind of triumphant rendering of that. And I don't know which way it's possible the movie version is more accurate to what the musical creators had in mind. I, know, I do know Victor Hugo when I read Les Mis. Because Les Mis, the book itself, also I think gets close to this in some sections. Uh-huh. But Victor Hugo is interesting because on one hand, there's a lot of this very deep Christian. Theology. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of this brotherhood of mankind will progress to utopia. Uh-huh. So it's a weird mix of the two. So yeah, that's why you get the movie. You know, so they're actually relatively close to Hugo Interesting. in both versions. <laughs> in both interpretations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, but I, Les Mis is on my list at, for both book and movie. Like, And I think it's just because transcendental images almost give you that, that ache. Mm. Like it almost hurts. It's so it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah, or so true, or so maybe you can't even explain it. It just it just hurts you to watch. It good hurt. It like hurts so good. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's like some wonderful life does that for me. But I mentioned that before. We won't talk about it. But just the goodness of these characters. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's not like good. Like oh, you're a good person, but like like an archetypal sort of good, like Jean Valjean at the end of the book is just, uh-huh. I don't know if I've read a more, a character that exudes this sort of just 
goodness in the same way he does. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if that that ache, that recognition of something so good, is you know a, a form of homesickness in yeah. a sense. As Lewis liked to say, you know, this is this world is is not where we're supposed to be. So obviously, we're, we have some longing for a future place. That means yeah. that's where we belong. Well, I mean, this whole discussion is very much a you know kind of runs parallel to his discussion of joy. Hmm, yeah. That you know, joy is almost the the desire for something you can't get yet. I mean, that what's so joyful for us is just even the wanting of the thing. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and it can come in weird spots. You know, just read. You know, you look at. You know, for him, he saw this what little garden thing and uh-huh. felt it, or read a part of a couple lines from a Norse poem. And so it can come in weird spots. Okay, this seems like a good time for perhaps my weirdest example yeah. of, a, of a transcendental moment. Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, I can, I can, I don't know what part you're talking about, but I can completely see. Well, now it's a funny thing, but you know, I had watched, I've watched that movie for years and years since I was a kid. But I remember one particular Christmas. This was, man, I don't, I don't know. I was well after, well after college. Yeah. And one particular song, the. Uh, it's in the singing of the street corner choir. Oh, yeah. It's going home. And it's true wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. I remember one particular time watching that song. And I mean, love is a, is a theme that permeates that whole movie. Yeah. And I remember one particular one just thinking, just kind of tying it in with the, the true meaning of Christmas about God sending his son, about God even being willing to enter the world for our yeah. sakes and all this stuff. And, you know, love is a very tricky thing to do to talk about in the stories without it coming across as cheesy. Yeah. But in that one particular moment, I remember just feeling overwhelmed with a sense of God's love because of that song yeah. in, in, the, in that movie. <laughs> so yeah. it's fascinating how, yeah, God can show up in anywhere and anytime. And one of my books in grad school and in college, actually, but I read it like an expanded version later on, was Real Spirituality. Real spelling, R-E-E-L, like, okay, okay, like yeah. fil- real film. And that one talks a bit about, one of the chapters really goes into this, people who go to movies looking for a spiritual experience. Yeah. And sometimes you have to go to a certain type of movie to, like, certain more artsy movies yeah. tend to be easier. Like, I've never but, seen Tree of Life. I'm sure we've talked about that here before, but a lot of people have we've that. We've talked so. about how we haven't seen it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. But yeah, that that, that, that sort of thing. There's a certain category of that. I remember one that I watched in film school was The Green Mile, which doesn't get into like necessarily the joyful side of, of like what we've been talking about, yeah. um, which is something else we should touch on. You know, sometimes this transcendental feeling isn't just this like happy ache. I think yeah. I think sometimes it can appeal to you know, a darker side, a, yeah. a perseverance through trial sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, most of the, my other examples are things I've, I've talked about in various forms before. Like... Um, this Easter we watched with the youth again, Passion of the Christ, and that. Mm. And I don't know. I, I always wonder how a non-Christian watches that movie, but it cannot be the same way I watch the movie. Yeah. I mean, I just I don't think it's possible for, for to disconnect myself from it in a in a logical way. At least last time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, that's a that's a, a very painful one. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember, I think this this year around Good Friday, I shared a post on Facebook about being in a uh, Easter oh, musical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
and that I was playing the Apostle John and I was with Mary at the foot of the cross. And of course, you know, beginning of the scene, you're kind of going through the motions. I mean, obviously you're, you're acting the best of your ability. So of course you're sad, but at some point, like every, during every performance, the, the fake tears would always dissolve into real honest to goodness, real tears and actual sobbing, like on stage in front of hundreds of people who don't know that you're really crying. I mean, Everyone's in the moment. It's yeah. a it's a bizarre, bizarre experience yeah. where I was kind of alone at the foot of the cross with Jesus in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, there's there's definitely something to recreation of of stories like yeah. that. Yeah, I and then I I'll throw in Bradbury real quick here because like Summer and I, she loves Bradbury too. I got her hooked on some of them. <laughs> Um, but like, there's this there's this story in um, Dandelion Wine called the Happiness Machine. This okay, this might not be transcendental necessarily, but just it's maybe it's the wonder part of it. It's right, it's right in between, I think, just because yeah. Bradbury at his best is well, and he's often about his best. He can make you ache, he can make you feel. Mm. Um, and the Happiness Machine just you know, it's about the guy's trying to build this Happiness Machine, and it's like it's really his family, and it just you know one of these. I think this probably should be cheese, but it just comes off it's like just <laughs> like if I if only could all of dandelion wine just makes you at least made me just hurt with want with nostalgia. Mm. It is a weird feeling to like hurt because you so you have this this nostalgic sense of something you never actually lived. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it just he's very very good at that. Yeah, um, and that's probably more uh, right between not quite this not quite spiritual, but it's. Uh, it's what attracts people to him because he has that, he has a sense. And I think that, you know, great writers do this sense of the things that really matter mm-hmm. or need to get in the stories. Yeah. Sometimes the, an emotional idea is as important element of the story as the, you know, the plotter or what yeah. have you. I've been reading a book by Ed Catmull, the president of Pixar, okay. uh, called Creativity Inc. lately. Fabulous book. I'm yeah. sure I'll have more antidotes to share from it in the future. <laughs> but they talked. He talked about their um, their pitching process, and they go through a very elaborate kind of hammering out yeah. the stories of each of their movies. And sometimes throwing out massive chunks or massive ideas about a movie, but they're always encouraging the director to kind of who's pitching this, yeah. the story. What's an important idea that you really want in this thing? And that usually that that kernel, that very important emotional idea usually carries through the whole movie. That's and, why and Pixar, what makes she, it. I mean, that's why you get these movies that they hurt. To, like my sister will not watch a Pixar movie anymore. Because you know, <laughs> she'll just be a blubbering pile of tears on the floor. Aw. You know, so she just won't watch it. Haley. Yeah, Haley. Okay. Um, she just can't do it, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I think she watched Toy Story 3 and she was done. She can't, she can't handle it anymore. Oh man. I'm, did she go to see Finding Dory? No, <laughs> she wanted to because uh, I, I, she loves Finding Nemo and she's a swimmer and all that. But yeah, and I, I knew Dory was a very she she loved Dory a lot. Yeah. So it's like wow, that's the case. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it just and I think it pays a lot if you you know even if you you know you can't I don't know that you can plan the transcendental, but you can get farther down the continuum just by having a an emotional idea that matters. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> this, you looking off in the space trying uh, to find your. I'm trying to figure. Is, out, there's some Pixar movie where I was just thinking about Pete Doctor. Is that his name? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Inside Out. Oh, probably Inside Out. Yeah, you know, just well, and he does it for that one and for um, he did Wally too, right? No, that's the other guy. No, that's Andrew Sandin. Sandin. Anyways, you know, you can just 
see these things that matter deeply. Mm-hmm. And it shows. They put in the... Because all, because all the cool worlds and all the cool characters and all the cool plot twists really don't matter if you don't have the that center. Mm-hmm. And the deeper you can get to a real thing you care about and that most people care about, the more your, your story shines... Transcendentally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to use fancy $3 words. Yeah, there you go. So, anyways... There's some ideas for, I mean, again, it's hard to to plan for Transcendental as a writer. Maybe as a viewer, you know, look at some of the movies that that have really moved you in this way. And, you know, it was fun looking, because I just kind of thumbed through that real spirituality yeah. book when I was looking through it. And I was reminded, one, of like how... Uh, the side of academics that tend to get away from like some of the, like, okay. I, I, obviously we like thinking deep about this yeah. stuff, but some people like to go like really yeah. hardcore academically stuff in this and which is totally fine, but I think it's worthwhile to understand what types of stories, what types of movies may help you think outside of yourself. Yeah. Um, and don't be ashamed of, I mean, if, if I can, if I can have a deeper appreciation of God's love from a Muppets movie, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> exactly. And I guess remember that that is one of the purposes of art. Yeah. Is to pull people outside themselves. That's kind of an interesting and challenging thing to do as a creator. And as a watcher. Or and viewer. A view. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that is our story school. Yay. So let's go to um, soundtrack. Right, so after all that talk, it's like, oh, what soundtrack do you pick? <laughs> um, and then I'm like, Tim, like, how perfectly like you use that? Okay. <laughs> so I've been, um, I, I'm sure I've mentioned, but I always maze mentioned, dude. What? <laughs> I know. Imagine that. No. Um, not I, really. I now have an early copy of no <laughs> American Pixels. No, but it got funded. Yay, American yeah. Pixels. Good job, maze dude. Congratulations. Um, we helped in a small oh, way. Very small. <laughs> Anyways, we were very happy to have you. I remember falling in love with Beethoven's Ninth many, many years ago. I've seen it, very, I've watched, listened to it various times. I did a whole kind of like a CD that walked you through, like, hey, here's how all the pieces and themes work. And I thought that was awesome. Um, but there's a double fugue near the end of the fourth movement. Now, most people know the theme from the fourth movement. I'm not going to sing it, but, you know, though to joy. <laughs> But, and I'm going to play you just this three minute clip. But the problem is. Because the full movement is like 22 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Can't do it. It's like, it's like a whole TV episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the problem is, this is the end of a lot of stuff. So it doesn't have the same, you know. Won't have quite the same impact. No, but it's still remark, at least a very good piece of music. And apparently, this is a free copy off archive.org. Awesome. Which is, which is cool. So you can go and hunt. I think you download the whole thing. It's kind of for saving cultural purposes. But awesome. So this is Beethoven's ninth, fourth movement, around minute 15 to 18 This in this particular recording. People play at different speeds. But it leads into the double fugue and just this sort of angelic sound, I guess. So anyway, I hope you enjoy. And if you've never listened to Beethoven's Ninth, go find a copy. It's only about an hour, 72 minutes to listen to. So um, enjoy.
Uh, welcome back. Um, sorry to take you back down to earth so quickly after that. Man, Beethoven, that's going to be a hard act to follow, Nick. Yeah, so <laughs> you better pick a really good soundtrack, Brahms uh, or something. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, we're going to follow that up with Project Update. So I just finished my 10th symphony. No, um, <laughs> take that Beethoven. So how about wow. we start with um, you, Tim? Oh, you want to start? Okay. Why not? I'm, I'm the host. I can do that. Yeah, you throw it at me this time. All right. Well, let's see. The last four months, I've been working on a video, freelance video project for Restore the Glory, which is a local dance ministry. And they did their performances like at the end of April. And it's been a very long road to... Uh, a long and winding road. Yes. But that long project is finally wrapping up. I've sent the bulk of the, the DVDs in the mail. It took way longer than I meant it to. <laughs> well, you had like 10 camera sh- angles or something like that, didn't you? Something like that. I mean, it was, it was way too much stuff to be tackling all my lonesome, which for the most part, up until today, today was the first time I brought other people in. Well, I take that back. Last week, I, I, I went to my brother-in-law to help me export the project because I was having computer problems. Um, but then today, I was like, help, I need help mailing all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, so family came over, and, and they helped me package it all up, which was very kind of them. But yeah, next time, I, I it was a great learning experience. I mean, and beautiful, beautiful production to be a part of. I felt honored to, to do it. We're like, really? Some great choreography. And the, the whole performance, the theme was Revelation, which I thought was a really interesting... The book, not necessarily just... <laughs> not just no, not not as a thing. Yeah, the, the revelation, the book. Yeah, which was very gutsy, but they did it really well. I never would have thought actually the revelation would translate the dance so as well as they did, but because they didn't bother with any interpretations of anything, yeah. which was smart and very unifying for a church. Yeah, I mean, you, you, anytime you're to interpret revelation, you're making someone mad. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So they just you know they just kind of went with they had someone dressed up as a dragon, they had a lady Babylon, and they just they just used the words straight from the text, and in a very abstract sense, it worked beautifully. It really would. Yeah, when you told me that, I'm like, yeah, that would that would be pretty cool. So I'll I'll have to show you some some choice examples uh, after we, we're done here. Um, Sounds good. But it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I know a lot of things I would do differently next <laughs> time. But yeah, so I was I was very happy to be part of that. And the DVD is not for sale. It was just for parents and grandparents who ordered it beforehand. Okay. But you'll probably at some point get to see some sort of montage online that if you really, really want to. Cool. Very so. cool. Yep. So that has been my big project yes. for the last four months. Although, Nick, I hear you uh, made a breakthrough on one of your long Yeah, for the last projects. four months. I mean, four years. I mean, since I was born, <laughs> I've been working on Sir and Fred Book 3. Okay. Not since you were born. Last 10 yeah. years. I prophesied since before I was born. <laughs> um, They'd be like, Book 3, what in the world is Sir and Fred? <laughs> It took a while to interpret the prophecy, but um, <laughs> but yes, I have officially wrapped up the rough draft of book three of Stern oh. Fred. I know it's pretty amazing. My my two like someone one of my five fans said, "When can I read it?" And I was like, "Well, the first third of it's basically done. The second third of it needs another good edit, but it's not too bad. Third section is um, needs at least a whole chapter that I forgot." 
and I'm sure the end needs tweaking because endings are hard to get the right the right tone. Mm-hmm. Well, regardless, no matter how you, how I do the ending, it's gonna be one of those. I think you'll finish the last page and be like, "Where's book four? <laughs> Which is what why people like Stratton Fred, but also why they hate Stratton Fred. <laughs> but anyway, it was it was it was satisfying. It was actually oddly like mundane to finish it like it just oh really finished it, said, hey i'm done natasha and i went and like read or something um <laughs> after all that time uh, yeah because i guess well, you know, I'm, well the, i'm back he said <laughs> exactly <laughs> because it was just it was uh, all the hard work had already been done mm. you know in many ways and it was just sort of like i was expecting any time now i might finally get to it and i think also the ending's not quite where i want it yet and that's some of it too because oh, i'm okay. like aha Okay. Um, but normally, if I can get over the hump and get to the last chapter, then it's just sort of like, okay, what? Well, I, mean, I don't know. I, mean, I was happy when I finished Squire, mm-hmm. but I can't remember whether it was like that last one, like, yes, or whether it was just like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so would you say it was an easier ending than the Squire? Because I remember you saying that, like, next to last chapter was really hard on you. Um, yes. No, it's, it was not as hard as the Squire ending for a variety of reasons because all the hard stuff happened before that. Okay. <laughs> um, and also, Squire is a single book, mm, so sure. there's a lot more um, making sure you tie up things. Mm-hmm. And while I tied up a lot of things in the Stern Fred, there's a lot of things I didn't because I don't need to yet. And sure. I want things for the Straw Neck book running. So, but yeah, emotionally, it might need some little tweak. I think it was really nice. To, I had just started reading Man Alive before I did the end, which gave me, reminded me the sense of uh, that sort of older style of writing which uh, I kind of wanted at the end, not 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 to change the style, but the, I had a lot of internal. The ending's actually relatively internal okay. for the third part, which is weird, but interesting. True. Yeah, it's not a big action scene. Yeah, the other two, the other two endings are. I mean, the of the three parts. So going back to analogy, if uh, you've applied to Stern yeah. Fred, and I've I've seen in Stern Fred itself, like comparing it to Babylon Five. Yeah. I noticed there's some similarity in the structure where yeah. your first book was kind of self, fairly self-contained, like the first season, yeah. introduced a lot of your characters. Yep. Second book, much like the second season, you did a lot of emotional pondering. Yeah. And it was very setting things up, mm-hmm. you're ramping action, yep. basically. And so th- does that mean book three is the climax, if you will? Uh, book three climax is a lot of... A lot of book two. Yeah, there is a lot not, of payoff. Not climax. What's the, what's what do they call the action? Well, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, I mean climax okay. and then and then falling action and, and then okay. yeah, um, because I mean it, I mean it is very similar. You know, people can't re- <laughs> can't can't hear that waving arm thing. You do. <laughs> I speak with my hands, which doesn't work on radio. <laughs> um, but it is a lot. I mean, you're gonna do Battle on Five. It is a lot of season three. A lot of you know season three Battle on Five. Those you don't haven't watched it, you need to. But there's a lot of crisis. Like almost every character kind of has this crisis, hmm. like where they they switch and they'd be like, you know, the doctor has his his drug thing. That's right. And then like, um, Delenn has her thing with the council. Well, hmm. that might be four. I mean, no, I think it might be. Th- it might be three. Uh, I forget. Now. And they break away from Earth, and you know, there's all these everything's all these everything big gets moments. broken. Yeah. yeah. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, for the character, I mean. Almost without fail, the characters that start book three are not the same characters that end book three. Interesting. In many ways. I'm which really, is part of the reason it took so long. The most curious character I'm trying to think figure how, how that would happen would be would be Gregor. Is it, is that his name? The, yeah, the okay. council member? He doesn't change a lot. I mean <laughs> I, I mean the, the main the main players. Some of the minor okay. characters. Well, there's some minor minor players too, but it's okay. uh, and then book four will have will in theory be more focused. 
because Stranford was written on the cuff, especially book one, mm. there were a lot of moving pieces. Oh, right. And I don't want to make a 10-book series. I just want to make, a, you know... A four-book series. A four-book series. Okay. So there's a lot of things that had to be cut off or, or ramped down or killed off or... Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and make not, not like, oh, we don't want this Alana person. We'll just blow her with dynamite, sort of. Um, <laughs> lost stuff. But, yeah. um, you know, things that I think thematically work really well. Cool. I don't know what I feel about the book because it's been such a long time sure. and so many parts, but I think it's good-ish. Good-ish. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see. Usually, right after you finish a rough draft is usually yeah, no, not the time no, to no. evaluate. I've it. heard people, a few people have read the part one, like our friend Brian Churchill, like loved it. Like he, he like read it all in like a night or something like that. It's like 60,000 words. Wow. So. And that's an old part by now too. It's a very old part, but I think it's, I think it's probably still... Something I worry is my best part, but <laughs> anyways. All right. Well, people can be looking forward to that in the year 2027. <laughs> no, I, I, the, the revisions go much faster than the writing did. Good. I would love to get a chance to read it before you send it to pub or well, uh, I'm, I'm going, to I'm, I want, but I want beta te- readers. So yeah, you'll be beta on testers, that. beta readers, beta readers. Awesome. Beta fish. All right. Well, we've talked about some of our individual things. We should talk real quick because I don't know if we've ever talked about the latest Children of the Wells novel. Oh, have here. we not really? I'm not sure if we ever did. Okay. Well, Children of the Wells website may not be working when you read this. Yeah. We've been having issues with that for the last <sighs> I don't month under- or so. And I don't understand. But anyways, if you can get there or just go to Amazon.com or other places, The Seekers and the Hidden by Greg Meyer. Yep. Longtime listener. It's very good. It's a. It's a. It was worth. I mean, it was a wait, but it's. It's a. It's a nice thick. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's uh, a full length novel, basically. Oh yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to our, our normal novellas, which I don't know that we'll do again anytime soon, but it was a learning experience, and I think it's a good read. And it has a lot of good new characters. It expands mm-hmm. uh, some of our our cities. Technically, it's Bron and Clea number four. Yep. So you get to hear about Bron and Niasha as they meet people around Therian and a lot of the aftermath of cataclysm finally we've jumped ahead three months mm-hmm. yep yeah definitely so it's, it's around the same time frame as uh call of the watchman right ish Ye- it's after call of the watchman after call of the watchman. yeah okay which i mean because that think. that itself had like a two or three month gap yeah it, or, yeah or it's, jump it, in the it, middle. it's close you're right but. so so go check that out. And we have, a, yeah, we have more books coming. Yep. Uh, we're trying to get back into the rhythm of things. Yeah, and hopefully fix our website. Yeah. Our poor, poor website. Our poor website. <laughs> yes. And I'll just throw a... Since we're talking about projects, always go to worksonic.com. I've been really making an effort to get out all my old stuff this year. So mm-hmm. every couple of weeks, you'll get some new story that most people have not read. Oh, it's it, been around for a long time. Was it not on the website before? Or? What? Like, like, oh, because like, I see you post. Well, some things, on... some some things are like all the flash fictions were, but like okay. I've put a uh, Stuart Lamore hero on there. A lot of my short stories were not on there unless they uh, were new. Okay, nice. So I've been slowly kind of putting them on, and nice. there's there's some interesting stuff there. And I appreciated so. your blog you did today. Oh, good. About, yeah, about sleep. I could identify with that. <laughs> I I would. If my life uh, schedule uh, allows me, I would like to actually blog more often. I mean, I'm starting to get ideas, and I think that would be fun. But Stern Fred comes first, or had always come first. Absolutely. So we'll see. All right. All right. So, Tim, what shall we now do? I think we have one more small <laughs> segment here, which is our take on Tales. All 
right, guys. So it's uh, the end of summer, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Strangely. And we normally do a summer movie recap. We were talking off mic that we have not actually seen that much, right? Myself especially, because um, with a seven-month-old new baby, it's hard to get babysitters when she doesn't sleep yeah. right or doesn't like people. And um, Yeah, and, and I just found it hard to get excited about a lot of the summer's movies, quite honestly. But Rogue One, Tim. Yeah, that, that'll be fun. Winter. Yes. What we're talking about. Winter. That'll be, that'll be, that might be another sidetrack, honestly. <laughs> I'm really excited for Rogue One. I don't know. Maybe, you know, so it's cool factor. Star Wars trailers are always cool. <laughs> that's, I think you just have to put true. that music there and a couple TIE fighters yeah. and you're set. I mean, and that's a really cool in theme with their kind of un- underlaying that both the Imperial March and the Star yeah. Wars theme. Like that, no, that, that was impressive. Anyway, we started with one of the ones you saw that I haven't. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, we'll just go, then I'll get in the middle and. Okay, so I only had like three, and you yeah. had one. one. <laughs> I saw Civil War, be that I really wanted to, and then nothing else happened. Almost saw Star Trek Beyond, but didn't get out to it. I was going to say, let's just start with that, because okay. we, we usually start with superheroes anyway. Oh, I guess that and, was one of the earliest ones. And it was a very early one. So okay, we Civil well War. Okay, remember how you said before that you've often felt like you're the only one who didn't care much for X-Men 2? Yes. That's kind of how I felt with Civil War, honestly. Really? Like, it, there are lots of parts in it that I really enjoyed, but I did not feel it was one of the stronger Marvel Cinematic Universe hmm. movies. But I know I'm in the minority there. Because I, again, it's been a while now, but I remember really enjoying it. I don't think I thought it was, like, the best things in sliced bread, necessarily. But first of all, the action scenes I, were just great. I love the action scenes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the the... the there's no denying the the fight scenes were like every fight scene was fun to watch. Yeah. And I'm I'm a sucker for this whole Captain America Iron Man their their philosophical debate. Mm-hmm. I like that. It makes sense to me and it um it adds something to what is just normal which is basically just an action movie with superheroes. Sure. So I, I really enjoy that and like the like the end just with them fighting each other they basically don't both want to. I just mm-hmm. it's kind of sad and it was weird there was kind of a sad movie at the end. It was. You weren't and, quite sure. The, the bad guys sort of seemed to win in some ways. Yeah, and it was... I think the problem with analyzing Civil War is in many ways, for me, it was a payoff for a lot of stuff. But by itself, it might not actually be that good of a movie. I mean, not that it's a bad movie, but it... Right. I'm not sure it stands by itself at the same level as, say, like, Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. or something like that. Well, see, the pr- the problem for me is... Anytime superheroes fight, and I don't mean just like petty squabbling, that's yeah. that's par for the course. Um, but anytime we're like they're getting into a knuckles, you know, smackdown, yeah. there's usually it's hard for it not to be at least a little contrived. Yeah, no, because because it usually involves because you know these are both good. They they want the best for if you're gonna go into that sort of violence against each other, either someone's being mind controlled <laughs> or they're not in the right state of mind some yeah. way. Or there's some really stupid misunderstanding that they just fly off the handle kind of yeah. uncharacteristically. And luckily, about. at least they avoid most of those things. Yeah, and they avoided most of those things. But and apparently, from what I've heard, they, they handled the Civil War way better, actually, than the actual Civil War comics okay. did. They, they, they avoided some of the pitfalls of the comic series had done. But what I didn't care for, the Scovia Accords, I had a lot of questions about. Oh. Because, like... One, they're sort of getting on the Avengers for causing property damage, which really the only thing that could really be pointed. Okay, maybe Shield, but they had no one had known that Hi, that yeah. Hydra was still around. You know that wasn't really the Avengers' fault. Yeah. Um. Sokovia could be pointed pinned 
on Tony, Tony. and Bruce. Yeah. But just them, yeah. honestly. It's like uh, the how it should have ended, I actually loved. You're like, you know what? Let's just scratch out Skogovia and call it the Tony Stark Accord, and we'll we'll sign it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I think you're right that um, there was a lot of shorthand yeah. in the movie. because. The, and and not, not only was like, were they blaming the Avengers for all these other things, but like, we want you to sign this now. Like, not yeah. not like, well, let's let's haggle, let's negotiate about this. It has to be done right yeah. now. I, I think, I do remember being, not being overwhelmed by it, now that I'm thinking more about my initial state. I think what I liked about it was that the fact that I felt like it's what I wanted out of Avengers 2. Mm. And I didn't much care. Avengers 2 was just sort of like, I felt it was too cluttered too. And this was... Like there was a lot of character moments, a lot. I mean, there's there's a bazillion characters, and they all fit. And I was really impressed intellectually by how they could juggle this ridiculous thing. Mm-hmm. Now the plot itself is kind of you know paper thin in many places. Yeah, and it was really an excuse to. It's one of these things that like the the airport scene when they all fight each other. It's really just an excuse for seeing your favorite guy beat up other guys. Yeah, and I can and I can completely understand people who don't like that. On the other hand. It's also so much fun to watch. So I have the, I have this conflicted thing that on one hand, half the movie is just fan service, but on the other hand, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's one of those movies that I think for myself I'll forgive because it it is what it's trying to be. But I wouldn't, you know, it's not going to be one of those movies I'm going to buy and rewatch ten thousand times. Right. It's it's the product of ten years of Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, certainly. It, it's just it was just another one of those cases where you see the you know internet kind of inflates everything one way or the mm-hmm. other. No, that's and, true. And I felt that it was it was kind of a kind of a B movie that a lot of people were treating as like yeah. A plus. And like this movie has a lot of pro- there's some really fun scenes in yeah. it. I I totally will agree. There's a lot of fun and scenes. There's in like corners cut plot. Yeah. Too. Like yeah. the other one that that really bugged me, and maybe this is nitpicky, but. It's like, okay, Captain America and who was with him at the time? Whoever was on that plane. Oh, probably, uh, probably, um, I can't remember now. Winter Soldier, man. Oh, yeah, Winter Soldier. That's right. Bucky. So they're on the plane. They, they escaped the airport and all this stuff. Tony has time to, <laughs> to, to take, he has time to take War Machine to, to get fixed up, visit the underwater prison, which somehow they brought all the other Avengers to yeah. and put in, um, visit them, have this conversation, long conversation, and then go catch up with them like 10 minutes after they arrived at the place know. that they had left for. It's like, wait, what? No, I know. And the thing is, some of this stuff could be solved with like, like two sentences, yeah. you know, and they don't for what. And like my thing is, okay, like the Spire, introducing Spider-Man scene, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Yeah. Definitely. But it's also 10, 15, you know, it's like 10 minutes. It's kind of, it is kind of a detour. That's not, if you were strictly doing from an editing movie point of view, you would not do. Yeah. It's the, the whole movie has this, has this vibe of, we're doing it because it's lots of fun, but it doesn't necessarily, the choice you would make if you were being a strict, editor screenwriter sort of thing mm-hmm. and i think that's both the advantage and or not the advantage but what appeals to it about to some people and also what you know it, is a dis- detractor from it and i and mm-hmm. i can really i remember i think feeling both things when i watched it right as a uh, side note to this we won't go into much because it wasn't really a summer movie but since we have talked about it i thought i should mention um batman v superman dawn of justice oh yeah which i felt was not as good as Civil War, but also not as bad as people. Some people made it out. Like it was definitely 
kind of a it was a disappointment. I would say I didn't even like it as much as I, I enjoyed Man of Steel, and there were there were more things that bothered me about yeah. this one. There's a lot of cool stuff about it though, um, as I suspected. Um, Ben Affleck actually did really well as as Batman. I yeah. thought he was a really cool Batman. Like, and a lot of the, the a lot of the cast was pretty good, except for Jesse Eisenberg's weird take on Luther. <laughs> I will totally agree with everyone's critiques on that. That was it was a really weird take. One part, and I know you haven't seen it. Yeah, but that's you, fine. Go ahead. You don't care about spoilers. No. One part that the internet has just has just ridiculed to death was actually a part that I kind of liked at the very at the very end of this long fight, which. Man, Batman is a jerk throughout most of this movie. <laughs> like as I predicted, he yeah. was he was a he's a total tool. So they go through this whole fight and Superman one one thing I really appreciated is he's trying to hold back. Yeah. Like he he, he knows he wants to work he's kind of forced in this, well, the, into this the, scenario the, by Lex Luthor. Yeah, the, the the manic idea of Superman being basically God but trying not to be. Yeah. I thought it was in the ending to Man of Steel. Uh-huh. And they they carry that through. I, if I, I complain about how Superman is portrayed I, in this movie, I would still say they're, he's holding back his his enjoyment of being Superman a little too much. Yeah. And I blame that Zack Snyder on that more than anything. I mean, I enjoy some of Zack Snyder's style, but some interviews I've seen make me realize eh, he really wasn't the best guy for this. But anyway, the the part that I wanted to get to. So at the very end, basically, Batman's been beating Superman down. I mean, they both have they both get in some really good hits. Yeah. It's it's a decent it's a really fun fight overall. But at the very end, he he kind of has him cornered, and and Superman croaks out, "Save Martha," because his. His mother is Martha Kent has been yeah. hidden, and Batman kind of he's he's stunned by this. Actually, he he, he, he he's kind of taken aback because his mother was named yeah. Martha, and obviously Batman's parents are a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> um, and there's this sort of this moment of realization of like he's just a normal dude. I have been a jerk, <laughs> and it's it's it was very it was very satisfying to me. But people on the internet made fun of that all over the place. It's like, oh, both their moms have the same name. That's a <laughs> stupid reason to stop fighting. And I'm like, I didn't take it that way. I I, I took it as this like. They're both humans. I mean, yeah. sure, one of them's from another planet, which happened to give him superpowers. But in the end, he's just a man. Yeah, I you, I think the hardest thing was with uh, superhero movies in current culture is that there's so much pre-expectation yeah, and so much nitpicky and you can't, it's very hard to enjoy them and just what they are trying to be. And sometimes the movies themselves are self-aware, yeah, which causes problems as well. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's like, guys, calm down. It's just, it's just a movie. You really should relax. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And like I said, I, I will fully admit that Civil War is a better movie. Yeah. Is, for the problems I had, I will admit that it is a better movie than Batman v Superman, but these things you know, get taken away. In, out in of the that. internet, the problem is probably Civil War gave people what they wanted, anyways. <laughs> and Batman v Superman gave them what they were expecting, which was not as much as they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Ten so, Cloverfield Lane isn't a suburb movie, is it? What? Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh no, I think Drat. that was spring. Also good movie. I, I keep meaning to see it. But I guess you could talk I mean Batman versus Superman and I just talked <laughs> for a while about that so you can mention it if you okay. want. I'll mention it real quick. It, uh, we saw it on DVD so I didn't figure it was, but I loved Cloverfield the movie. We saw it in the theater. You and me saw it together actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that movie was a trip. Talk about like all and like I never seen something like this before. Yeah. I know some people hated it because it was like dumb talk in the beginning and then the, the steady camp, but it worked for me all the way. Mm-hmm. Ten Cloverfield Lane is very different because there's no stay camp for one. 
and it's all not in not, this, not steady cam, shaky cam. That, yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> Two that different is a things. very different thing. <laughs> um, but it's all basically like three people in a bunker for most of the movie, mm-hmm. and it is it is you just feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just kind of tense for like an hour, <laughs> and it works really well. I won't mention much about the end, but I think the the end is a thing that you would either like or dislike depending on what you're going for, what your expectations are. Okay. But I really enjoyed the whole movie. Interesting. Um, I've been. been I think you would enjoy it. It was. It was. It was certainly worth watching. And John Goodman will never again be not creepy. Um, that's unfortunate because he's, he's, he's a very cheery guy normally. Mm, yes. <laughs> and greatest scene of playing um, charades or what? No. Pictionary of charades? I don't know. Ever. <laughs> okay. Or, anyways. Okay. All right. What's so another movie here? Next movie, uh, Star Trek Beyond. Yes. Um, I wanted to see this movie. Yes, which I, I quite enjoyed. Going into it, I really had absolutely no expectations for yeah. it. I really wasn't even particularly excited for it. Because it's funny, I remember enjoying Into Darkness well enough when it was in the theater, but I was when I was thinking about it after, I don't really remember much of it. Yeah, like certain like certain things, but it it was not a movie that stuck with me. At least not not even as much as two thousand nine one went did. Um, but this one I thought was really funny. It, it felt like they actually stay at the beginning. They're three years into their five year mission. Okay, so which is cool to not be a prequel that they're kind of into their own continuity finally which, which, is, which is nice because you, the in uh in darkness was playing depending on who you talked to too much on on earth well and on old themes oh you're still yeah. you're still rehashing yeah you're almost living in the glory of the old star trek and you just at some point you gotta go and be your own thing yeah and and i, I think they did some of that i mean they'll be you could argue that there's still some of the same themes they touched on in this one but at the same time you also felt like they were exploring. They were they were trying to do their own things yeah. in some ways, and I don't. And it, it felt like in some ways, some people have compared it to an episode of a TV show, and it was it was kind of like that. I don't. I don't know that I have a whole lot to say about. It. Although I remember we t- I talked about this with Greg one night, and we both sort of agreed that there's there's a moment toward the end where the movie could have ended, and then they go on a little farther and they add a new twist to things. Um, Should it have ended? Maybe. Greg felt like they it should have. I've heard someone. I heard someone else online made a good case for really enjoying what they did with the with the twists and the the depth they gave to a particular character. Okay, so I can take it either way. I mean, I I definitely felt that like like after the certain bit, I was like, oh, we're still going. Well, okay, <laughs> and they did some interesting things. It's just they could have ended it a little bit and. Would have been you know, just a different take. Yeah. So I'll, it'll be fun to talk about yeah. when, after you've seen it. But I'm not going to touch it right now because yeah. I know you will eventually. Yeah. Um, so the last one I will touch on is Finding Dory. Finding Dory. I did. Yeah. Would have seen it in a normal world. <laughs> it's a shame in some ways that it's, it was rated PG. Like, and, and, and they might call us a busy time. Some are being so short. Now with the kids, there's so much other things. Oh, maybe trying to get done. I didn't know that had anything to do with it or not. I mean, it's a G movie, honestly. Like, did they just rate for that for getting people to come or you know something? They, I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, they're scary. I mean, sometimes if it's slightly scary, maybe that's why. But I don't know. I would have. I've seen other G rated movies. I thought would be more intense. Like, there's was there smoking? (laughs) That'll make it PG thirteen. I don't remember smoking. I think it just, it might be for thematic elements. Okay. Because I do remember, like, they set up, in the beginning, they set up Dory, they do a lot of flashbacks to Dory as a kid with her family, and, but they set, the way they set it up at the 
the beginning where she gets separated from them and you know the kids separated yeah. from her parents and it is it is really heart rending that's probably like, one reason we didn't necessarily take because feel doesn't you know oh yeah we always like to watch some of these because you just don't know emotionally what some of them are going to be like well, okay that, that's a good point i mean because when we showed him um up he, he got kind of sad at how he's always talking to his wife that's not there oh sure so so yeah okay and maybe that is because I mean you do, you do get the sense of it gives you a different perspective on Dory's amnesia. You know, before it, it's mostly played for humor, for humor, yeah. but it gives you kind of this like sense of what would it be like to be completely lost to and having been so lost that you can't even remember your parents, hmm. your family. Yeah, but I, it pays off in the end. I felt for me, it was a very moving movie in some ways more than finding nemo was for me well that's what i was going to ask is you know i'm always suspicious when people make sequels mm-hmm. is it a sequel worth making i think it is now and when i say i it, it moved me a bit more than nemo i don't know how much of that is the movie and how much of it is me in a sense because i well, remember i remember yeah. when finding nemo came out i didn't have quite as strong a reaction to it as other people did Maybe partly because, you know, I was college age. Yeah. If, if the story felt more traditional in a sense, even yeah. though you're, the underwater stuff was cool and all that, you know, after the insanity of Monsters, Inc., yeah. where, like, I mean, that's that's a crazy concept. This kind of father-son thing felt much more mundane yeah. in a sense. And I don't know, like I said, the, the whole Dory's dilemma just, just got to me this time, maybe because I'm older and sappier or something. Yeah. <laughs> It happens. One particular thing that's quite different this time, and this is much less of a journey movie as okay. Finding Nemo was, because like they hop a ride with uh, the turtles, basically, yeah. and they get to California pretty quickly okay. in, in terms of movie time. Yeah. So it's less about that and uh, more about you also get a sense of fish are very um, fragile characters in a sense. <laughs> they, they have to do up, the filmmakers do a lot of creative ways of moving the fish around in, um, outside of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> like they have this octopus that the movie would just not be possible without this octopus <laughs> that, that literally carries Dory from place to place. And he's a fun character. Um, some might think that's a critique against the movie, but I, I enjoyed it. And when I say they really push the, the limits of what you can do with fish, like they actually had like this car chase at the end with the octopus like doing the the pedals and Dory giving nice. directions. Like, okay, I'm not really buying this, but I know this got pitched in a meeting sometimes and you all thought it was hilarious. And it kind of is. I did hear that it was a little zanier than Nemo. It is it is in some ways. Now, the the perennial question people ask, where does this fit on the Pixar <laughs> Char. Um, I mean, I mean, like, just not exactly, but you know, yeah. is it like the great, the goods, or the whatever one you don't like? <laughs> I'd say it's on the higher level of the goods. Okay, <laughs> on, on that scale, yeah. Wally, The Incredibles, Inside Out, Inside Out, Toy Stories. Those are kind of what I I would call the pinnacles. Yeah, even Monsters Inc. A little bit, but yeah, I, would, I personally I would place this a little above Finding Nemo. Okay, the, cool. that, that's just personally. Other, oh, yeah. other people I might mean, have different reactions. You can't, Pixar, yeah, yeah, everyone's gonna have a different order. Yeah. All right, we need to wrap this up. Okay. Well, that's I don't have any more movies. So yeah. <laughs> All right, there's our take on tales, everyone. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to listen to past episodes where we do uh, takes on last year's movies or previous <laughs> summer movies, yeah. well, you can find those at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, wherever fine podcasts are. And I, I um, keep meaning I'm going to update the YouTube. I, I've I started oh, yeah. working on that, and then Revelation just kind of swamped me, yeah. the, the dance thing. So 
They will be updating, hopefully, before too and long. Leave us comments, give us suggestions for, you know, topics, for things we really need to watch. <laughs> yeah. And leave us reviews on iTunes. Yes. All um, that stuff helps. So, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this. And, Tim, um, I don't really want to leave here because it's just, it's just about perfect. But how about we just, uh, we'll just chill and you, um, you, you give us some soundtrack to leave one. Okay. Well, this, it's not really a chill song, but... And I don't know if I can compare to Beethoven, uh, but what can? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but this is this is from the uh, Mahler. Mahler. <laughs> no, we're going back to OC remix for this. This is from their album Worlds Apart, the Final mm-hmm. Fantasy IX album. The remixers are Chris Wu. That's his real name. I'm not going to try to pronounce his screen name. And Fishy. And the song. Speaking is, of Dory, no. <laughs> the, the remix is called "To Be Forgotten," and. Um, this actually goes more into the uh, tragic side of uh, transcendental music. Yeah. It's it's a long song, but hey, Nick got Glowworm Jim last time. Yes, so. Glowworm Jim. So this is six minutes as opposed to seven, but I think it's just a beautiful journey. The song in the game is actually like they're, the characters are doing a dance, sort of reaffirming their culture moments before their culture gets destroyed. So this song is, I think, a beautiful kind of rendition of that kind of struggling through hope in the midst of darkness. Um, Sounds awesome. So I hope you enjoy it. All right. Until next time, thank you for listening. This has been Nick. And this is Tim. Adios. Bye.